We have just a single scripture reading this morning from the Gospel according to John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Listen to God's word. Me too. Poor baby. She's still learning how to behave in church, and they can't learn if you stick them in another room. Our reading from John is from chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Listen to God's word. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons of water. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars up with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called to the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests had become drunk. Drunk, it says that. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I cannot remember who it was, but there was a comedian when I was a kid who said, God is a comedian playing to an audience that's afraid to laugh. We don't stop and think about God is funny and he's good at it. Think about this. When David slew Goliath, what did David do? He walked around carrying the head all day long. Don't you think when he was called the king, Saul, Saul might have said, hey, you're, it's dripping on my carpet. Would you get that thing out of here? No one dared say anything, but picture that. Remember when Balaam decided he was going to go pronounce a curse on the Israelites? And there was, he was riding his donkey. There was a big angel in the middle of the road. And the donkey could see it, but Balaam could not see it. And the donkey kept turning around and talking to him. Don't you see that? And Balaam said, there's nothing there. Go, go, go. And the donkey kept, quit hitting me. There's something there. And they have this argument. And it's hilarious. Remember that snake in Eden? in the garden and God's curse on the snake was from henceforth you shall walk on you shall crawl on your belly 
You know what that means? It means the snake was walking and talking. Think about that. Wow, you people don't laugh at anything, do you? <laughs> Let me try this one. This one's from Robin Williams. I can prove to you God has a sense of humor. Look at the people around you. There you go. God is funny. And we miss too much of it because it either gets lost in the translations or we just don't want to believe God is funny. So come on this little ride with me and I'll help you understand some things that are happening in this story that the story doesn't say, but the people who heard the story would understand very clearly. If God is funny and Jesus is God, then doesn't it also follow that Jesus is funny? I think so. And usually what makes it funny, at least from my point of view, is that Jesus is almost always the only one who gets the joke. Nobody else seems to pick up on it. And this is one of those. It's a very famous story about the wedding feast at Canaan. We all know that story, right? Jesus turned water into wine. A great miracle. Except that it wasn't that big a miracle. There were, it, you're not going to believe this, it's nothing like today. There were messiahs wandering all over the Holy Land at the time. Or people who said they were. And one of the things, if you were a messiah, that you had to be able to do is turn water into wine. That's like, if, if a messiah couldn't do that, it's like a magician who can't pull a rabbit out of a hat. It's trope. You have to be able to do that or you're not a magician. Well, if you wanted to be any kind of a messiah, you had to be able to perform this particular miracle. And Jesus is telling his mom, I don't want it. Come on, that's a parlor trick. It's not my time. So let's drop this charade, shall we? But his mom insists. And think about that. An early clue is that Mary's not worried about the wine running out. Mary's not focused on that. It doesn't matter. Jesus is there. What Mary is focused on is everyone look at my son. Watch what he can do. He's a doctor and everything. How does Mary know Jesus can do that? I don't know. I don't know either. We don't know because scripture doesn't tell us. Maybe one day uh, one of his friends got a splinter and Jesus went over and touched his hand and the splinter was gone. I don't know. But Jesus is still a young man here. And Mary, you can see her almost, my son's a brain surgeon. You know, what a great thing. And everyone watches and sees Jesus make this wine or realizes after that he made the wine. And Mary can say, I told you he was brilliant. I told you. And Jesus is looking at his mom and kind of saying, paraphrasing, Mom, anybody can do that. That's nothing. But Mary's convinced. Jesus is also playing a joke on everybody at the wedding. 
You have to stay with me to understand the joke, but it's really funny. Think about this. Those of you who are in Bible study, you may pick up on this if I remind you of it. It's very important in this story that there are six jars and not seven. Seven is the number of completion. The implication is that this man's piety is not complete. It's not fulfilled. It's not, uh, it's not really pious. He's meeting requirements, and that's about it. But the whole idea of there only being six jars tells us there's something a little off in this story. And we're going to figure out what it is. The jars also show us something about Jesus' ministry later on. We can infer some things about the host. He has big giant jars that hold 30, 20, and 30 gallons of water. In the Middle East, 20 or 30 gallons of water just so he can bathe ritually and be spiritually clean. Now think about that. Anybody here think they could lift a 30-gallon jar of water and carry it to the house? No. Anybody here going to make the trip with a five-gallon jar of water back and forth and back and forth and fill up six 30-gallon tubs of water? I'm not. If you need that, you're going to go thirsty depending on me. It won't work. So this guy must be wealthy. He has the big jars that most people don't have. He has access to enough water that he can use it, not for drinking or cleaning or feeding his animals. He can use it for washing himself off. Man, that's a rich guy. He's got big jars and tubs. Those things are not cheap. But the host is concerned with this ritual purity. He wants to be clean at all times, and he doesn't want to go to the communal places where the Jews went to clean themselves up. He doesn't want to associate with the rabble. The peasants go to the mikvah, not the good people, not rich people. If you're somebody, you can do it all by yourself, and that's a good thing. He doesn't need to go because he has his own, and he has a lot of it. Now, that water and those jars are reserved for a special, exclusive purpose. That is to hold the water that he's going to clean himself in. Think about this. Tomorrow, that host is going to wake up. He's going to want his bath, but he's going to have to go to the mikvah. You know why? Turning the wine, turning the water into wine ruined the spiritual purity of those jars. He can't use them for that anymore. Do you think Jesus knew that? I think he did. I think he was up to something his mom and everybody else couldn't see past the miracle to understand. Jesus ruined his mikvah tubs. So now he's technically humiliated the host by destroying something the host 
must hold very dear. He's told a joke that his mom can't get. She doesn't understand what has just happened. Nobody seems to, and I don't understand that. But I think Jesus looked around him and said, oh, chaos, confusion, humiliation, my job's done. Yes, sir. But Jesus is also making fun of us. Uh-oh. Think about the things that we hold in such reverence and such great piety. I'm not going to pick up that cup and juggle it up here in front of you. I think that would be kind of disrespectful and inappropriate. But if I did, does it hurt God? It's a cup. It's a piece of wood that's been turned on a lathe. And sometimes we want to forget it's a cup and turn it into an idol. Sometimes we want to think that that is so important we must revere the cup. No. We revere what it represents. We had, uh, those of you who have been here for Christmas know that we have garlands on the ends of each pew. They're real pretty. Uh, I didn't make them, but they're real pretty. And we, it, it's, they stick out just enough that it makes that aisle a little bit narrow. And so when somebody is collecting the offering and then bringing it back up, you can't really walk side by side like you can now. They have to kind of stagger a little bit to fit down the aisle. And one Sunday, I can't remember who it was. Might have been PK for all I know. But somebody bumped into one of them, knocked them off, and I looked, I just heard this laughter. And I looked up and they were laughing back there. And I thought, wow, that was funny. I, I liked that. I like it when things like that happen. But think about communion. Think about the fact that we use grape juice. We don't use wine. How silly is that? Wine is wine. Grape juice is not wine. But the session decides that, not the minister. So we have grape juice, and it works just fine. Nothing, no problem with that. But historically, grape juice wasn't even used for communion until the late 1800s. That was when the whole teetotaling thing got rolling and Somebody decided Jesus only drank grape juice, not real wine. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I have fermented strawberries. I have fermented strawberries for one week. And believe me, there's alcohol in there. You can smell it. Some ministers want this table set just a certain way. And I made up my mind a long time ago. I don't care when we're having communion, as long as the bread and the juice are there, we're fine. Well, do you want it stacked here? Would you like it slightly to the left? Do you want it out in the front where the elders? I don't care. God doesn't care. You shouldn't care. As long as it's there, we're going to have communion, period. So Jesus, through his humor, can remind us of what 
really does matter. I can't turn water into wine. I wish I could. Would that not be cool? But there's humor. He reminds us that we're just human beings and we can get caught up in trivialities that make no difference to anyone but us and that certainly make no difference to God. And we can get caught up in our own piety to the point that we become so pious we no longer think we're human. Or maybe we no longer think we have to associate with those people. The other part of the problem there is that when we're reading Jesus' jokes, we miss the joke. We miss the humor. Jesus had a wicked sense of humor. Very dry and very cutting. We miss all the joy and the laughter when the joke is on us because we don't want to laugh at ourselves and the ridiculous things we do in the name of holiness. So let's not be so solemn and sanctimonious. Look at you. You're all so serious. And we're talking about how God is funny. We get so serious and so sanctimonious that we can't even hear God's laughter. We can't hear when God is laughing at us or when God is laughing with us. What kind of spiritual life is that? We worship a God of humor. Some things are funny. I don't care who you are. If we're too serious about our piety, we don't just miss the joke. We miss what Jesus is really saying. Amen. Come, let's stand and say who we are and to whom we belong.